Welcome to Sermons from Bailey Road. You are about to hear a sermon given at Bailey Road Baptist Church. Bailey Road is a small Bible-believing church located in North Jackson, Ohio, and is pastored by Pastor Aaron Smith. We are dedicated to serving the Lord through our people and through our teaching. We hope you are enlightened by today's message, and again, welcome to Bailey Road Baptist Church. Glad to be with you. I really am. Turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. And uh, I'm honored to be, be with you. Uh, appreciate Brother Smith giving me the invite to come and be part of your revival meeting. I'm glad you're able to have one. Uh, I think uh, we've complained a lot about COVID. And uh, I'll be glad when we can put that in our rearview mirror forever. Uh, maybe we never will. I don't know. But there's been a lot of things to complain about, but the truth of the matter is there have been some things to be grateful for. And one of the things that I'm grateful for about COVID is it has taught me the, uh, to be appreciative and the importance of congregational gatherings. You know, I'm, not, I'm, I'm a simple guy, I really am. Uh, my name is Michael Jones, it doesn't get much more common than that, right? And uh, I... You don't get terribly too profound things from me, but I've always said this, uh, assemblies assemble, congregations congregate, that's, that's what they do. And for a while there, every church wasn't able to do that. And I hope that that has created a desire in God's people to want to be in church. And so I'm thankful that you're able to have a meeting. And I know last year for us at our church, we had to cancel ours, and I hated that. And then this year, just a few weeks ago, we had a revival meeting in our church, and it was wonderful. We had several people saved and have seen some of them baptized, and just very thankful for what the Lord did in that meeting. And so I'm trusting the Lord will meet with us in this meeting. And really, a lot of that's going to be up to you, because I did not bring revival with me in my suitcase. I wish I had, but I couldn't fit it in there. And that's not the way it works. And so a lot of it has to do with whether the Lord will send it, which he wants to, and whether God's people will receive it. And I hope that that's what you want. I'm excited to be here with you in particular because I enjoy being in Ohio. I'm from Ohio. I was born and raised here. I was born in Cincinnati and grew up there. And so I know there's a little bit of uh, rivalry between this area and that area. Uh, I was reminded of that in Sunday school. Uh, but I'm glad to be in the great state of Ohio it did my heart good to drive over into the border uh, when Brother Smith picked me up yesterday, and uh, I was just thankful for that. I am definitely a dyed-in-the-wool uh, Buckeye fan, and so I don't know if that does something for you or not, but I'm telling you, I wanted to name, I, I'm, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, I'll come back to the Buckeyes in a second, but I'm Michael, I married a girl named Mindy, and we have five children, and we named them all with M names, I know it's kind of cheesy, but I have uh, Molly, Matthew, Macy, Mary, and our youngest son, we gave a good Bible name. His name is Maher Shalahashbaz, but we just call him Mark for short. But my oldest son, when he was born, I wanted to name him. He's, we, we, my wife and I agreed on the name Matthew, and I wanted to name him Matthew Brutus. That's what I wanted to name him. And my wife said, you can't do that. That sounds like a dog's name. I said, well, it's not a dog's name. It's a... It's a wonderful mascot's name, and uh, I'm going to raise my son in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and he's going to be a Buckeye fan, and he'll thank me for it someday. She said, no, he'll hate you for it someday, and she begged me not to do it, and I was serious, and she was too, and she ended up winning, 
And now my son is 18, he's graduated from high school on this coming Thursday, and he has told me multiple times, Dad, I wish you would have stood up to Mom. It would be awesome if my name is, is Brutus, and he is a big-time Buckeye fan, and so I'm doing something right with all of my kids there. They, they love the Buckeyes. And it's important because I live about 30 minutes from Clemson, and it's been hard on me. Uh, it really has. So this year was some vindication. I was afraid if we did not win this year, I was going to have to resign my church in shame, and I was prepared to do so, but uh, it didn't work. It worked out well for us all. So anyway, I am glad to be here with you, and I hope that you're glad to be in church today too. Mark chapter 4, I ask you to turn there. Uh, this is one of Jesus' most famous parables, and uh, something we can learn from this morning. If you're physically able to stand, I would like to ask you to stand out of respect to God's word, if you would, and we'll read the Bible together. We like to do that. That's our custom at our church. I don't know if that's typically what you do, uh, but it comes from the idea in Nehemiah chapter 8 where they stood and read the word of God together, and I'm going to read a fairly lengthy passage of scripture, but I'll try to be quick about it. Verse 1 of chapter 4 of the Gospel of Mark, and he began again to teach by the seaside, and there was gathered unto him a great multitude. So that he entered into a ship and sat in the sea. The whole multitude was by the sea on the land. And he taught them many things by parables and said unto them in his doctrine, Hearken, behold, there went out a sower to sow. And it came to pass, as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. And some fell on stony ground, where it had not much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. When the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. And other fell on good ground, and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased, and brought forth some thirty, and some sixty, and some an hundred. And he said unto them, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, they that were about him with the twelve asked him of the parable. And he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables, that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted, and their sins should be forgiven them. And he said unto them, Know ye not this parable, and how then will ye know all parables? And this is one of the few parables Jesus gives kind of the key or the code. He doesn't do that in all of them, but he says in verse 14, the sower soweth the word. And these are they by the wayside where the word is sown, but when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and have no root in themselves, and so endure for a time Afterward, when affliction or persecution ariseth for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word. And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of other things entering in choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. And these are they which are sown on good grounds, hear the word and receive it, and bring forth fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some an hundred. I want to preach to you about this parable this morning because I think it will set the tone for the revival meeting and I hope the Lord will give us something today. Heavenly Father, fill me with thy spirit and help me to preach and communicate your truth well. And I pray that you'd work in the hearts and lives of this congregation. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing so long. I appreciate it. You may be seated. 
I've grown up in church all of my life. I was blessed that way. I don't apologize for that. I know that that's not the testimony of everybody. Whatever your testimony is, thank God for it. If you got saved later in life and didn't have a church background, man, praise the Lord that the grace of God found you and saved you and changed your life and you're in church today. But I was blessed. I was born and raised in church. I mean, literally, I was singing in the choir nine months months before I got here. You, you know what I mean? And I, I grew up in church. I was a church brat. I uh, Man, I, I would have drooled on the carpet in the nursery. I knew all the old ladies in the church that had candy and uh, colored uh, my name in some hymnals with crayons, I'm sure. And uh, I don't know, some of you older folks might remember this. Man, when the preacher got boring, I'd read chick tracks and stuff like that. I just grew up in church all of my life. And one of the things that I've noticed and observed as being a church brat, being somebody that grew up in church and seeing that, is I've noticed that there are some people, uh, you can say, let's just take one family for example, where there is two kids in the same home and those two kids have the same parents. They've watched the same example, they've been taught the same things from those parents, they've attended the same church, so they heard the same pastor preach the same sermons, they were involved in the same youth department that participated in the same activities, went to the same camp, heard the same preacher at that camp, uh, and, and they were exposed to all of the same things, and yet one of those children followed the Lord, loved the Lord, followed Him with all of his heart, remained in church, and served God with their life, and the other one uh, you would not say the same thing about. They chose their own way. They did their own thing. They're not in church and do not care much for the things of God. And so how is it possible that this can happen? Two kids with the same parents, the same siblings, the same church, the same preaching. How is it that they respond in two entirely opposite ways? And the truth of the matter is, is that this is not something that's new to the world. In fact, if you go back all the way back to the very, very first book of the Bible, Genesis, in Genesis chapter 4, you've got two boys from the same home, Cain and Abel. And they were taught the same thing. They were taught about the sacrificial system. They were taught about, Je- taught about Jehovah God. They were taught about the same exact things, yet one decided to obey what God had specified, and the other decided, I've got a better idea. I'm going to do my own thing. And they chose a path of self-will and even anger in their life. It's not a new conundrum. But I say to you that here this morning, we find the answer to this problem right here in this particular parable. Jesus taught a parable about the different soil types that the Word of God finds. Now, think about it this morning. Why did Jesus teach in parables so often? Look at verse 12 with me, if you would. He said, that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven them. That seems contrary to everything I know as a preacher. As a preacher, I, I tell you, I want to I wanna preach in such a way that people understand what I've said. I think we've all been in a sermon before, in a service before, and we've heard a preacher preach, and he said a lot of good things, but you had no idea what point he was trying to drive home. I think we could take it further than that. We've all heard a preacher preach before, and he wasn't a good preacher. We can admit that. And when we heard him, we thought, I don't understand anything this guy's saying. He's either trying to be too educated so he's talking over my head or he's rambling and muttering around or maybe he's not prepared. Uh, I remember I was in Bible college. I heard Dr. Robertson say this. He said, don't tell your congregation you're not prepared. They'll find out in five minutes anyway. 
We've all heard people like that. I, I've, I've tried to work hard. Now, whether, whether you agree with what I say or not, that, that's an entirely different thing, but I don't want you to walk out of here going, well, what was that guy talking about today? But here Jesus says, well, I've taught in parables because, man, I, if they're seeing, they might see, or they, they and not perceive, and hearing, they may hear and not understand. And, and then he says, lest at any time they should be converted, changed, impacted. And their sins be forgiven. Listen, when I preach, I want anybody who's lost to trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. That's what I would want. Why did Jesus then teach in parables and seem to maybe confuse people? Well, let's talk about that for just a moment. He quotes that, that passage right there, that verse I just read, is a quotation from Isaiah 6. And, and you know what a parable is. I keep throwing that word around, assuming that you understand that. And, and I, I imagine that you, most of you do. A, a parable is, we often describe it this way, it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. An earthly story with a heavenly meaning. So it is a story like this, a story about a farmer that has spiritual applications to it that we can understand. Why did Jesus teach in so many parables? And by the way, even to this day, many of the parables in the Bible don't have an interpretation like this parable did. A lot of them, it's just kind of, we're still trying to maybe interpret those and understand those and apply those. Why did Jesus teach that? Because the truth of the matter is, Jesus really was a plain teacher. He, he was. I mean, he said it straight. That's why he had so many people that loved him and followed him, because they understood him. But he also had so many people that hated him and opposed him. You know why? Because they understood him and they did not like his truth. So why again did he, did he teach in parables? One, be, here's one thought, because it encouraged seriousness. Did you know, I, I tell our people this all the time. The Bible is not really that hard to understand. Are there hard passages? Sure. But the general concepts from Genesis to Revelation, really not that hard. There's simplicity in Christ. I got saved when I was six. I understood the gospel. The overarching idea of the Bible is not very difficult to figure out. The problem is, is, you, is what I tell our people all the time. You can't read it like a comic book. Because it's not a comic book. It's not to be treated that way. And so... Jesus taught parables because he was encouraging seriousness. See, what happened, you notice when we first started out, he was teaching by the seaside, and it says a great multitude came to hear him. But one thing you learn about Jesus is he, he was not impressed by large crowds. You and I, we, we, we are. I mean, man, if this place was packed, that you couldn't even find a seat to sit in. I mean, there's standing room only in the back. To me, that would be impressive. That would be exciting. I mean, I would love that. That didn't necessarily get Jesus going. And, and you know what it reminds us a little bit as you go to the Bible and think about it in church life and, and ministry life? I have heard people say this, this kind of idea. Hey, never criticize what God is blessing. Let me just say this. Just because there's a crowd doesn't necessarily mean that God is blessing it. Amen. And, 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 and listen, here's the idea. If A lot of people think, well, if it works then God must be behind it. No, 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 no. That, that, what that statement does is it looks to results instead of Scripture. And, and results are not the authority of what's right or wrong. The Bible is the authority about what is right or wrong. 
And so Jesus, he, he's not, he's, he wasn't pragmatic. If he was pragmatic, his ministry would have gone way, way different than what we read. He, sometimes he purposely did things to antagonize his opposition, it seems like, as you read it. He was not interested in just drawing a crowd, and he was not just interested in doing what worked. He was interested in obeying the will of his Father, and he was looking for people to follow him that were serious about following him. That's the first thing. Too many people followed him just to see a miracle. My, my oldest son is, he, he can do magic tricks. I, I don't know why, he just kind of, I remember when he was a little boy, we were at a, a, an amusement park in California, and uh, he was watching, I mean, he was probably about 10 years old, and he, he knew a couple of magic tricks, and this guy was in a magic shop trying to sell the gimmicky magic tricks, and he would do them, and my son would sit there and go, I know how you did that. And I remember the guy finally putting it down and said, I'm not doing any more tricks. You need to leave. He was just so ticked off at my son for exposing all of his. But have you ever seen somebody do a pretty cool uh, uh, magic trick and you're like, how did you do that? Magicians to this day are still drawing crowds. You don't think that people would have wanted to show up to see Jesus do some of the things that he did? I would have wanted to. I mean, you know, I, I love this story about the man with the withered hand. Jesus says, hey, reach out your hand. He asks him to do the thing that he can't do. And, I, I mean, I always just make this sound effect because I imagine it happened. I mean, a hand came out. I mean, I, I would have wanted to see that. I, I would have wanted to have been there when he told Lazarus to come forth, and Lazarus comes after four days of rotting in a tomb, comes walking out. This would have attracted crowds. I would have wanted to have been there when, when a little boy walks up with a lunch, and he says, this is all I got. And Jesus says, done, deal. He takes five, five loaves of bread and, and some fish, and he, he's feeding sandwiches to the whole crowd. Thousands of people getting free food. I would have wanted to be been there. It attracted crowds. He, he performed exorcisms. As I told you, I got five kids. We believe in discipline in our kids. And there have been times I've been confused whether my kids needed a spanking or an exorcism. Yeah, that's right. And there's a record in, in the scripture where Jesus is preaching and a man with a devil starts interrupting the service. And by the way, I've had some pretty interesting, man, I'm thinking right now. One time uh, in, in the balcony of our church, this new couple got into a fight. The lady didn't want to put the kid in the nursery. The guy wanted to put the kid in the nursery. The kid's screaming. Now the wife's yelling at the guy. He's grabbing her. They're fighting in the middle of the balcony while I'm trying to preach. It was very, very unusual. Jesus just stopped in the middle of his sermon, cast a demon out of it. You don't think that wouldn't have drawn a crowd? Not only that, he would get in fights with people. The Pharisees hated him. They were always trying to trick him. I'll tell you, I've been in a few fights in my life. I imagine most of you have. I I, I don't like it. I don't want it. I'm not a a fighter in that way. I know some people seem to get get a thrill of that. I'll tell you this much. I didn't ever want to get in a fight, but I didn't mind watching people fight. You remember when you are in 7th or 8th grade? Man, there's going to be a fight after school at 4 o'clock behind the ball field. Man, I'd be there, have my popcorn ready to go, man. You didn't think that they would go, hey, Jesus is speaking down by the lake today, and I heard the Pharisees are showing up. I'm going to go down there. I'm going to see what happened. My, my point is this. Is Jesus taught these parables because he was looking for people who were serious about learning. That they weren't there just to see a show. That they weren't just there to see a fight. They weren't just there to see something spectacular, that they really wanted to know the truth. And because of that, he taught in parables. Then he taught in parables because a parable demands persistence. 
this kind of teaching style does not cater to the half-hearted listener. And I'm going to tell you, I, I believe that a lot of what is passing in the name of Christianity and preaching in pulpits today, it, it appeals to half-hearted listeners. It's a lot of gimmicks. It's a lot of marketing, it's a lot of sales tactics, it's a lot of entertainment, and, and, and it's, a, I mean, look, most churches have dimmed the lights and made it like a, a club kind of setting because it's just appealing to people who are half-hearted listeners. And if you study the Bible, Jesus did not do that. And the reason he did not do that is because half-hearted preaching, you know what it does? Is it produces half-hearted followers. And he wasn't interested in that. That's why he would tell people straight up, hey, listen, if you follow me, you're going to have to take up your cross. I mean, it's going to be tough. Hey, Peter, in John chapter 21, I want to tell you, you're going to become an old man. They're going to lead you where you don't want to go, and you're going to die a death you really would rather not die. Uh, but follow me and feed my sheep. Jesus was, he was interested in people who were willing to, he, he said, no man that puts his hand to the plow and looks back, he's not worthy to follow me. I think we've got this idea that God is some desperate old man up in, up in heaven just dying and waiting and begging for his children to come visit him. I just wish somebody would call me. No, 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 that's not who God is. And I think we've got this idea that he just, he's like a professional cheerleader that just loves you and everything you do he thinks is awesome because you're awesome. No, he's wanting you to follow him. And these parables weeded that stuff out. It also, notice this, it required perception. You see, he, he even said that he, in, in verse 12 when he quoted from Isaiah 6. He, he's saying, listen, at face value, these stories seem to be something that uh, you already know, but there's more to it than that. That's even why his disciples walked away and said, what exactly were you trying to teach us and tell us? So again, he taught in these parables. Now, let's come back to this parable and look at it this morning. It's often presumed that the lesson of this parable is why some people get saved and some people do not. That's, that's what most people project it as. I remember even in college, I had to do a paper on, on deciding which one of these four different characters presented in this parable, which ones are saved and which ones are not, and why do you believe that? But after I've studied this for a longer time and, and meditated on this and, and, and looked at this and paid attention to this, I'm, I do not believe that the truth that Jesus is teaching us here is about salvation. Now, you could apply it to that, but it's not about salvation. You see, there are three strands of truth when you, when you read the Gospels that you've got to be careful that you don't tangle up or, or you'll get in error. And that's salvation truth, church truth, and kingdom truth. Jesus talked about all of these different things. And, and again, I've grown up in church, and so I've seen people that want to, want to interpret every text of Scripture to, to talk about salvation. And I'm telling you, you can get in trouble with that if you're not careful. Because remember, there's only one interpretation of Scripture. Now, you and I might interpret it incorrectly, but there's only one at the end of the day. Peter talked about that. It's of no private interpretation, it says. Now, there's a lot of foolish teaching that has resulted from trying to force a meaning on a parable. A lot of it. And so remember this, an interpretation of, of a parable has to be consistent with the rest of the Bible. 
And normally when you come to a parable, there's one central truth. And that's where I think a lot of people get in trouble is they, they want to apply, you know, interpret every single thing that's ever said in that parable without getting that Jesus is saying, hey, there's one central truth that I want you to get. And so the emphasis of this parable, I believe, is not on salvation, but rather it's on this right here, productivity. You see, he talked about fruit bearing. What is fruit bearing? It's productivity. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to be a productive Christian. I do. I don't know where, how you feel. I want to be a productive Christian. Now, I want God to use me. I'm not talking about I want to preach to great crowds and see hundreds and thousands saved. That'd be fine with me. But I want to be a Christian that produces fruit in my life. And I think sometimes we confuse fruit with results. Fruit, according to the Bible, is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. It's those things. The Holy Spirit working in me to produce something through me. It's Christ-likeness. I want to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, are you always loving? Oh, no, ask my family. Not always. But I want that to be the general characteristic of my life. Are you always joyful? Oh, I wish I could tell you that. But I hope, generally speaking, I'm a pleasant person to be around. Nobody wants to be around a pessimistic, uh, Eeyore-type personality. I I don't want to be that. I want to have some joy in my life. And by the way, if the Holy Spirit's working in you, you will have joy. I'm talking, do you think that these people followed Jesus by the thousands because he was a killjoy? I don't think so. I know we don't have any record of him laughing, although we have record of him weeping. But I think he was a happy... I want, what I'm trying to say is it's not about results in your life. It's about fruit in your life. And Jesus talks about what made somebody a productive believer, a productive follower. And he gives the interpretation. He says, uh, first of all, there's this seed. The seed is the word of God. He says that in verse 14. The seed is the word of God. The sower is anybody who gives out the word. And the soil is the hearts of people who hear the word. He says that in verses 15, 16, 18, and verse 20. And so I say to you this morning before we get into the parable, the problem is, according to productivity, the problem is not the sower. I think a lot of times emphasis is put on anybody who gives out the word. Now I feel this pressure. I feel this pressure a lot. Your pastor invited me to come here and preach some sermons to you. Now, if he had heard me preach and said, man, this guy is a terrible preacher, let's have him. He wouldn't do that. And so there's a certain pressure on you to preach good sermons. I feel that pressure. God has blessed me and I get to preach different places and I'm glad for that. But but I feel the pressure of preaching good sermons. But you know, the truth of the matter is, is it's not about preaching good sermons. It's about teaching good truths. And I think sometimes that's what what we think is, well, the reason I'm not productive as a Christian is my my pastor's not a good preacher, or my teacher, my Sunday school teacher doesn't teach good lessons, or I've not sat under that. No, 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 no. The Bible is telling us here that the issue, according to this parable, is not the person distributing the seed. It's not about his ability. It's not about his character. Now, should a, the Bible does say that an office of a bishop ought to be apt to teach. That means they're good at it. And again, I, I said it earlier, we've all heard somebody that wasn't good at it. And I had an old country preacher preach at my church. He's with the Lord now. I loved him. He was a help to me, an encouragement to me. His name was Charles Wright, old country preacher from Virginia. 
And he was preaching to my pulpit one time, and I remember him, he got happy. He got, you ever seen a preacher get blessed by their own preaching? Well, come to the South, you'll see a few of them, you know? And man, he was, he was, he was preaching, and, and he stopped and he said, I love preaching. I love preaching. And he looked at me, he said, Pastor, if I can't get some good preaching, I'll take some bad preaching. I thought, not me. I'll tell you right now, I like good preaching. But I'm glad he had a burning desire in his heart for the truth. But I think, again, so much emphasis is put on the way somebody scatters the seed. That's not the issue that Jesus is addressing in this passage. The problem, notice this, is not the weather. He said, what do you mean by that? Well, if this church had a better youth program, I'll tell you what, if we had a better music program, I mean, listen, I understand you didn't have a piano player today, but I'm glad we as God's people just raise our voice and sing. Listen, you look in the first century church, those people are just gathering in an upper room, 120 of them. You say, what'd they have? Well, I'll tell you what they didn't have. They didn't have a piano. They didn't have a song leader necessarily. They didn't have fancy lights and uh, music. You know what they did have? They had prayer. Hmm, that's a novel idea. They had the Holy Spirit. And God blessed them. See, sometimes we put so much emphasis on programs and facilities and, 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 and man, if we just had some young people to do this or that. Listen, Jesus said the problem is not the weather, it's not the sower, and, and oh, hey, don't get me started on this. It's definitely not the seed. The Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to divide us asunder the soul and spirit and cut to the quick of the matter. I'm thankful that the Word of God is like a hammer and it can break apart the stony parts of our, of our heart. And I'm glad that it's like a mirror that shows us what we ought. I'm glad it's like bread that feeds us and it's sweeter than honey. And I'm telling you, the problem is not with the Bible. Oh, friend, if the Bible bores you, you bore me. I'm telling you right now, the Bible is an amazing book. And there's never been a problem with the seed. We are born again, not of corruptible things. We're born again by incorruptible things, such as the Word of God. So what's the problem? The problem's the dirt. That's the problem. Sometimes we ask, what's your, what's your blood type? I'll be honest with you, I do not like needles. I, I, I don't like, I'm a pastor, so I visit hospitals, but I don't like hospitals. I don't like doctors. I, I, I really don't. Now, I like them personally. I just don't like them professionally. Now, I'm t the other day, like, like you, some of you, uh, there's a guy in my church, he said, man, if you have the antibodies, if you have the COVID antibodies, they're, they're, they're giving you even more money if you give plasma. I said, well, they can keep their money. So I'm not giving plasma. I don't do that. I mean, if my wife needed some, I'd think about it. But other than that, I don't know. I just don't like it. So the other day I, was, I, was, I heard that, I think it was o, o blood type, you do better with the COVID. So I asked my wife, I said, do you know what, do you know what kind of blood type I have? She said, I don't know, because I don't know. I try and avoid these people as much as possible. I don't know what my blood type is. I probably should. She said, well, it's in a file somewhere. Well, I hope she finds it, because I'm not going to go give blood to have them tested to tell me. What's your blood type? Maybe you know. What's your personality type? Have you ever taken a personality test before? I've taken them multiple times. I'm interested in psychology and sociology, and so 
I've taken them several times. You can get on online and take them, Myers-Briggs, something like that. You know, your, your pastor was saying in Sunday school, he said, man, when I knew Michael in college, he's always just so quiet. Well, it's because I'm an introvert. I really am. Every personality test I've ever taken labeled me as an introvert. What's your personality type? But I think more than knowing what your blood type is or what your personality type is, I should ask you, what's your, what's your dirt type? Because I think that's really important. So I, I want to be, and I'll be quick. I was longer introduction. But I want to give you four types of people found in every congregation. Listen, I don't know you. I just met you. Never been to this church before, and I guess if I don't behave myself, I'll never be here again. But, but, but I'm, t- I'm telling you this morning, I can guarantee you that all four types of these soils are right here in this room. I've preached to enough congregations. I've pastored different congregations. I've, I guarantee you they're in this room. I've seen it over and over and over again. I've seen it in my own life. Number one, I want you to see it. There are those who are hard-hearted. You see, he talked about that. Verse 15, these are they by the wayside where the word was sown, but when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the words that was sown in their hearts. The word wayside means a pathway or a road. It's a place where people come and go, where there's a lot of traffic. And because of that, the traffic kind of beats down the path. I was uh, preaching, in, this has been a couple years ago, I was preaching in Tennessee, and uh, uh, Tennessee, you know, good old mountain country folks, and I was, I was in the East Tennessee area, and this particular church had a house that they owned, and that's where they would put guests. And I was staying in that house, and I, I was just kind of out walking around, just reading, praying, just kind of getting ready, and just kind of walking around. And, and I noticed back behind the house, there was an old outhouse. Like, like, like legit, it wasn't, it wasn't decorations. I mean, it was leaning, and it was dilapidated, but it was, it was an outhouse. How many are old enough to even remember Outhouse. My mom grew up in the, in the hills of Kentucky, and she said she had a family member. They were uptown. They had a two-seater outhouse. Who in the world builds a two-seater? I mean, like, what are you going? Hey, how are you doing? <laughs> it's, it's crazy. But anyway, they had this outhouse, and what was interesting to me is after all these years, I mean, indoor plumbing in the house, I mean, that's, that's a thing of a bygone era, but did you know that the pathway to that outhouse was still there. You know what that means? That was a place that was visited frequently. We understand that. And because they walked on it over and over and over and over again, it packed down that soil so hard that no seed, no vegetation, no growth ever took place there. And Jesus is saying that there are some hearts that are so packed down and so hard that the seed of God's word cannot even penetrate that soil. And what happens is the preacher will preach. And man, I mean, let's say he's the best preacher in the world. Listen, I was preaching to a crowd of teenagers the other day, and I was telling them, listen, it wouldn't matter if I was preaching while I was dressed in a big bird suit juggling chainsaws. Some of you wouldn't pay any attention to what I'm saying. Because you sit there and you go, I've heard this. I I imagine there's somebody this morning going, I've been in church before. I've heard the parable of the sower before. I already know all this. 
You know what Peter said? Peter said, yeah, but it's my job to stir you up by putting you in remembrance of what you already know. But the truth of the matter is, is it can get so packed down so hard that when the seed of God's word, whether it's preached, whether some of you might even be like, well, this guy's raising his voice a lot. That's because some of you are falling asleep. Gotta wake you up. Would you like it if I was like, well, the Bible says that there are people who have hard hearts and the soil of God's word cannot, or the seed of God's word cannot penetrate. Here, write this down, write this down. You guys are falling asleep already. But again, it has nothing to do with my preaching ability. The Bible says that that seed, the message, whether it's loud, whether it's soft, whether it's long, whether it's short, whether it's dynamic, whether it's stagnant, it doesn't matter when the word of God comes. It hits that deadpan soil and it sits on the surface. It never gets down. And Satan, like a bird, comes and he just snatches it up. And it doesn't produce anything in your life. Or you can hear the truth but it's not going to do anything in your life. It's not going to change you. It's not going to help you. And by the way, I'm just telling you, Satan never wastes any time. Never wastes any time snatching it up. I see it happen all the time. God will preach. People walk out the doors. They get in their car. They turn on their radio. They go home, turn on their TV. They get on the internet. They look at their phone. He, he wastes no time snatching up the truth you just heard. Let me say secondly, There are those who are superficial. He talks about these stony grounds. He he says, what what it is, is it's kind of like the wayward, beaten down path. But what it has, is it has a layer of soft soil on the top, but it's really shallow. And down below, there's stony ground. And so what happens is the seed gets down into that shallow soil, and it produces something for a little while. But the rocks... Keep the, keep the plant from getting deep roots and maturing. And I think this represents the emotional, excitable hearer. I mean, they, they get fired up real quickly. You get real excitable. I mean, like, my youngest son's that way. Man, he gets excited quick. Like, I'm going to do this, and he does it for like two days. And then he's on to something else. We're trying to channel that character, but that, that's, that's the word I'd like to point out. Did you notice it says there that they had no root in and of themselves? You know what? You'll never be a good follower of Jesus Christ if you don't have discipline. I mean, the very word disciple and discipline, same, same root word. You, you cannot, if you don't have, do you know why a lot of people never are productive in their Christian life? It's not necessarily because they're not saved. They just don't have good character. They don't have character to read their Bible every day. They don't have character to come back on a Sunday night or come back on a Monday, Tuesday meeting. They don't don't have character to be faithful that way. They don't have the character that it takes to follow the hardest discipline in the Christian life, which is prayer. And that's why they produce little snippets of things here and there, but the roots never go down very deep. These are the kind of people that sign up quickly and make pledges, but they don't fulfill them. These are people who begin to uh, stand, stand off and lose interest and stop coming, and then they drop out of sight. I, I remember when I was, I started pastoring when I was 27. And, and man, I was like full of a lot of zeal and a little bit of knowledge. And so I, I, was, I might not have known a lot, but what I knew I was really excited about. And man, our church, I, I started pastoring a church in North Carolina, and it, we had about 100, 125 people in that church, most of them were older folks. 
And I'm telling you the truth is we, we grew up over 600 on a regular basis. I mean, God just blessed that work in an amazing way. And man, our church started, started growing immediately. I mean, like almost overnight, boy, we just took off and started reaching people and, and our church began to grow. But here's something I noticed. I noticed that people would come and they would come Sunday morning and they would like it and they would come back on Sunday night and then they would come Wednesday night because they're t- testing out and they would come and they would come and they would come to all the service, all the service and then finally they would say, Pastor, I want to join this church. And I said, great, we want you to join this church. And then they would come and they would join a church and then they would stop coming regular. It was like they kind of did the deed and they were like, okay, done with that. And so I remember one Sunday night, I was fired up, man. I was preaching. And, and man, our church was growing. It was all full in there. It was on Sunday night, and I was preaching like a wild man. And I remember I stopped, and I said, I'm going to quit letting people join this church. And I mean, everybody like looked at me like, I mean, their eyes visibly got big, like, what do you mean you're not going to let people join our church? I said, because I'm sick and tired of people coming Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night until they become members, and then they disappear. Everybody's like, oh, yeah, amen, yeah, tell them to come to church, you know, that kind of thing. So. Why does that happen? Because you can't be a strong disciple without discipline. And so these people are very superficial. They're, they're surface-oriented. They look good, but because it doesn't go down deep, they don't maintain it. All right, let me give you a third thought real quick. There are those who are crowded. As you see, he talks about these other, that, man, they grow up among the thorns, and so they, they're good, and it's producing fruit, and it's doing well, but, but the influence of the world is just too strong on their life. It, 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 notice that Jesus even specifies the things that crowd out the productivity of God's word in this person's life. The first thing, is he says, is worry, the cares of this world. So not... I feel comfortable enough just to be transparent with you. Just this morning, I was on the phone with my wife talking about an issue that took place in our family. Just this morning. You know, sometimes that happens. I've been been on an airplane going somewhere to preach and our hot water heater busted. My wife's trying to call me. What do I do? She's talking to me about an issue with one of our children. You, You don't think... And, I, and by the way, I'm not saying that to boo-hoo to you. I'm saying I'm preaching to people who have cares in this world. You got family problems. You got bills to pay. You got things going on in between your own ears. You got worries. You know, the Bible tells us that. It tells us, be careful for nothing, but in everything by thanks and supplication, make your request be made known unto God. The Bible talk, talks about these kind of things in our life. But, but here's the person that allows the worries and the cares of life to just choke out productivity in their Christianity. He also talks about wealth. You see that? Deceitfulness of riches. Doesn't the Bible warn us about that all of the time? Love not the things of this world. Of not the world, neither the things of this world, materialism. We are a consumer-based society. And we are a prosperous nation. And because of that, I'm seeing it choke out spiritual productivity in the lives of God's people. And then he talks about want, lusts of other things. And I'm done. I don't want to abuse you today. I hope I've done you well. But I want you to notice something. Is in those first three things, Jesus He addresses our three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. 
First, first shoe was Satan, the devil. The second one, he talked about the flesh. And this one, he talks about the world. That, that's the enemy of the believer. But thank God, there's that fourth person. These are the people that are receptive. There's good ground. And did you notice the fruit varies? It's not measured in the same quantities. Can I tell you something from a pastor's heart? People grow at different paces. And they attain different levels. And it's my job to try and help our people get from where they are to where God wants them to be. To be the best Christian that they can be. The most productive Christian they can be. And I want you to see this. And I'm going to tell you this and I'm done. Thank you for, be, for paying attention. But spiritual maturity is not found in the length of time you've been a believer. I'm going to tell you this morning, I've been saved for 37 years. I, I guess I'm becoming an old man. I was telling Brother Smith, last night I went to the shopping mall, I needed to pick up a dress shirt. And I have my mask on, I got my gray hair going on. And there's a mob of teenagers, about 12, 13, 14 years of age, they almost bumped into me, just goofing around. And this one loudmouthed girl in the group said, you just almost bumped into that old man! Excuse me, you know. <laughs> Listen, I've been saved for 37 years. But just because I'm now measuring my salvation in decades, not years, does not mean I'm a spiritually mature believer. And you can sit there if you want and tell me, well, I've been saved. I've had people say, I've been saved longer than you've been alive, son. That doesn't make you a mature, productive believer. It's not the number of Bible studies you've participated in. I hope you know something about your Bible. I hope you can answer the question. Sometimes my kids want to play Bible trivia with me. And to be honest with you, I don't like playing Bible trivia with them because I'm the pastor. I'm supposed to win. I'm glad to tell you I do win, but, but it always makes me nervous. What if I lose to one of these punks? Just because I know a lot about the Bible doesn't make me a spiritually mature believer. It's not about the theological knowledge you, you, you've obtained. I hope that I could have discussion. I had a college-age kid in my church, and I'm thankful for him. He said, Pastor, can we go to lunch? And we went and we were sitting in a sandwich shop. And I said, well, what's going on, man? What, what you want to have lunch for? He said, well, I wanted, to, I wanted to ask you your viewpoints on dispensationalism. Now, to be, to be honest with you, I was kind of taken back because I don't have too many 20-year-olds ask me about dispensationalism. And some of you might be sitting there going, I don't even know what that is. Well, I'm glad I did know what it was, and I'm glad I did have a healthy conversation with him, but just because I know about theological viewpoints doesn't make me a spiritual believer. There are a lot of boneheads on the internet that want to argue with you about theological frameworks that aren't spiritually mature believers. They might not even be believers. Amen. It's not about the position you hold in the church. I appreciate our brother leading the singing this morning. Just because you're the song leader doesn't make you spiritually mature. And just because you're the pastor doesn't mean you're spiritually mature. And just because you're a deacon or a trustee or a Sunday school teacher or whatever it is you've got a title about, that does not make you spiritually mature. What is it? It's this parable right here. Hearing and obeying God's word. That's the measure of a spiritual believer. So, well, why are you preaching this sermon to start a revival? <laughs> because... The productivity of this revival is going to be based on how you hear and receive the Word of God. Look, if you're not even here tonight, it's not going to produce anything in your life. 
You're not here on Monday. It's not going to produce any fruit in your life. You're not here. Or if you're here and you sleep, it's not going to produce anything in your life. Or if you're here and you're sitting here going, man, I wish my wife were here. She needed to hear that. It's not going to produce anything in your life. I always like to ask questions if I can when I, when I preach at the end. And I want, to, I want to make a couple statements and then ask you a question. Here's the first statement I learned from this parable. Number one, I'm going to keep sowing seed anywhere and everywhere to everyone. Because whether it produces fruit in your life this week or not, my job here was to just to scatter the seed. And I can't control what kind of soil it falls on. So I'm going to do my job. I'm, I'm, I've tried to scatter God's word today. Second thing is, I'm challenging you to take care of the soil of your heart. If it's, if it's hard, deadpan soil, you've got to break up that fallow ground. You've got to get it soft again. If the birds are snatching the seed away, you've got to start chasing the birds away. If, if it's thorny and got a lot of, got a lot of uh, thorns and weeds choking it out, then you've got to weed your garden. We've all seen somebody has an immaculate garden that's weeded. It produces a lot of fruit and vegetables. We've also seen people that have a garden, but they don't tend to it. And it's all overgrown. and It doesn't produce like it should. We've got to keep the soil of our heart pure and fertile. And so that's my final question. What is the soil of your heart like? What is the soil of your heart like? Because that's going to determine the productivity of God's word in your life. Heavenly Father, thank you for letting me.